Look, bruh, all I'm doing is connecting the dots. A work of art of the highest quality. And what will you do with the big, big, big money? But, guess I'll make a lot of money, so here I am. Connect the dots, be clear. But music was noise, and I thought art was bullshit. I want to be an artist. Oh. Being, I'm not a piece of art! Yes, bravo! I'm a peacock! If money is all that you love, then that's what you'll receive. It really was. It was a work of art. It's not about money. It's about sending a message. Hey, just look at that sky. It's a work of art. Ha, nature never knew colors like that. A man can be an artist. And anything, food, whatever. It depends on on how good he is at it. Chrissy's art is death. He's about to paint his masterpiece. It's a work of art. Make that money, get paid. Man, this is gonna be a masterpiece. Bothered to connect the dots. This is an art gallery, my friend. And this is a piece of art. Simply connecting the dots. Yeah, well, money talks and bullshit walks, you know what I mean? Yeah. Well, that's how much you know about art. You can make a lot of money making movies like this. You have to be a bit of a rebel to be an artist of any kind, I believe. You're gonna make a lot of money, pal. Only a highly suspicious paranoid cynic, or someone like me, with, a, with an eye for clues and patterns, could possibly connect the dots. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Connect Your Dots. I'm your host, Justin Stillmaker, the show where we dig into that fun topic of art and money. And if I'm being completely honest with you, I have had far too much coffee. So expect me to be a little more jittery than usual. I feel like I'm trying to tamp it down by drinking more beverages, but I'm just like amped up. So, which is great because we have an exciting, fun show. But let me take a little list to see if I can calm down. Hmm. Okay, so first up, I've been wanting to talk about this. I mean, the strikes are still going on. There's lots of topics. But something that's been kind of weighing on me all summer is I want to talk about what the hell is going on at Reddit and kind of how this, to me, signals the end of the, the internet as we know it. So um, I don't know how familiar all of you are with the trajectory of Reddit. It's For a long time, it was just that weird place where you'd go and ask a question or dig too far into like making your home computer or solve a problem and it was always it's a bunch of weirdos you know like including myself as a weirdo um but at some point in the last four or five years as google's algorithm gets more and more corrupted and ad buys and people have figured out how to game the different systems reddit has become the most dominant search engine there is it's the people the one that's the one left that people trust they know they're not just getting served an ad and again that's that connection I'm always interested in. It's like we come for one thing and then money gets in. And so Reddit still had this like little bit of truth that we can all trust when because, you know, the one thing about weirdos is they're not trying to make money off you on Reddit. They're just trying to tell you what they think. And like, it's up to you to parse it. And that honestly created a very honest internet experience. 
But of course, what's happening now is Reddit wants to go out as an IPO. They're changing some of the providers they work with. They're trying to force in ads. And a lot of the main people who use Reddit are quitting. There's a lot of companies that are looking to kind of like peel off different parts of it. And so Reddit to me is becoming this like reflective problem of the internet, which is like the stuff that works best is free. Reddit doesn't charge you anything just like Internet Archive or Wikipedia. It gives you the best stuff. It gives you the most honest look. And then uh, slowly they have to turn a gigantic profit. Because again, tech, a lot of these companies like, you know, aren't actually profitable. And so they're going to wreck this good thing they had. Once again, to me, it's like money gets involved and they have to find a way to make it insanely profitable instead of just running it at like, you know, cost or some, you know, some profit. It has to be, it's got to look sexy to investors. And so that's what's currently happening on Reddit is like people are starting to leave it, which is now pushing people back into other search engines, which aren't that great. And so you sort of have this mess of like car crash of collision of like all these different sites that no one trusts. We're all on the internet. No one trusts what they see. We don't believe anything. And meanwhile, AI is coming in the midst of all this to create even more chaos, right? And so as I've just like, as someone who's on the internet, who uses all the different tools, I just think it's really fascinating how it's starting to splinter. And so I'm old enough that I remember the internet when it first started, like, or not like the eight, but like, you know, the night when like AOL Instant Messenger, message boards, Yahoo, GeoCities, like all these, like, they all felt like Reddit. They all felt like these like little unexplored corners that didn't like sunlight. And you can find really interesting stuff and learn and gain. And then, of course, you know, the tech and all the money came in and it's changed. And now I'm kind of like, I think it's pivoting back. I think now everything you want on the internet's going to be behind a paywall or it's going to be on someone's newsletter. It's going to be on a sub stack. It's going to be some kind of gatekeeping for us to get it, which means we're not all sharing the same internet experience. And I think for a good last 15, 20 years, we've all been kind of sharing the same internet we've all kind of like this is the site i go to twitter i go to tiktok i go to instagram like facebook it's this like place we all agree on but now that like none of them can provide us what we want and if google can't even count on to provide actual solutions to your problems everyone's going to go start looking for answers and we're all going to be getting different answers and create this like splintered secret internet much like how it first started and i don't know if that's good or bad it's just certainly a thing that is beginning to happen that like to me um i signal some kind of big change and the reddit is the fact that reddit is going to change to me which is like one of the last bastions of like old internet is now being corrupted by tech money and like there's a lot of benefits from this right like so like if the people the paywalls and we can't we actually have to pay for our content that just means writers can pay more people can actually learn a wage on there but i just don't fully believe that's going to happen. I think they're like, you know, I feel like there's gonna be a lot more hucksters. AI really has took all the crypto and NFT bros and brought them in. And this is the new answer. There's a, the, the staggering amount of AI newsletters I get. They're asking me to sign up to learn how to use this tool and lose this tool. And so everyone's gonna keep having these siloed internet experiences. And I think one of the best parts about the internet is it sort of brought us all together, right? To these kind of common knowledge centers. And now it's just being completely wrecked and so i i mean it, it had to happen it's a fallout but it's just like i keep being reminded of how like in the early like you know tw early 2010s on how much like the internet was going to make everything great for artists and like all these sites and all these writers and everyone was able to put, produce content and all these things were being put up and then facebook famously did this thing called pivot to video and it, it's where they basically said people want video and by the way we're selling video they want more of it and it turned out 
they didn't. And so they fired all these writers and were like, we're going to make videos. And it turns out everyone still just sort of wanted to read an article and not watch a video, a long explainer video. And so this like whole economy within the internet has been kind of wrecked. And I feel like we're still dealing with the fallout from that. We're still doing the fallout from crypto and NFTs. And now AI is in this mess. And I just think we're looking at the closing of the internet and like maybe the start of something newer and better or back to the old where we all just kind of had our own like page and little corner of the internet universe. And so I wouldn't be connected dots if I didn't talk about this and it's been on my, in my head for a while. So I was glad to finally get that off my chest. Um, this is a terrible segue, but my next guest, Carl Evans, um, who's from the hope for us network is coming on here. And, um, we are not going to talk about the internet. We're going to talk about action movies. So, Carl. Hey, buddy. There's Carl. <laughs> There's Carl. Okay. I realized I shut my own camera off. So hey, it's, it's okay. Hey, man. How's it going? Um, <laughs> Good. How are you doing? Good. Okay. There's something I've always wanted to ask you, and I'm going to lead with that, which is, what is your job at... <laughs> How would you define it? Because everyone's How would I like, define well, myself? Yeah, if I find your job for within the Hope for Us network. Uh founder and CEO of the organization, but I kind of am just the sort of grease monkey in the back, just kind of making sure the gears are turning and uh we're pushing the thing forward. We have a really amazing crew of people uh on the back end and people on the front end who do things like run their own shows thank you justin mm-hmm. uh and amazing people on the back end like scott our executive producer and our creative director mm-hmm. christina and our development lead ben who uh make sure the administrative and technical stuff is in order so my my role if i'm lucky because i have very talented people around mm-hmm. us is um just some of the more finite administrative things. And then I guess knocking on doors, you know, you got to, you talk about money, finding right. ways to put a dollar in here and a dollar in there without compromising our right. ethos and <laughs> integrity. So you're like the mascot. That's how I actually always think of you. Cause I, I, yeah, I, I always met Carl when I would go to Sip of Hope, the coffee shop kind of brought to you by Hope for Us Network to some degree. I never know the correct lingo of this, but I, we'd always just, I'd be there working and we'd, I'm always look when I'm writing, I'm always looking for an excuse not to write. So Carl was always, if he wasn't in a meeting, available to start chatting about anything. And I think that that conversation was what led to this show on some level. Like, you know, yeah. over the course of five, six years now, I'm here talking on the network about art and money. And so like, I guess that's my how I got here, but like, how did you get into this? Uh, fortunately, Sash, unfortunately, hmm. I'm one of those people that's lived experience driven into mental health. I think you certainly don't have to have had a history, a case history, or even just a casual history of mental health to be passionate about the subject, volunteer, or even work within an organization. Unfortunately, in my case, I'd experienced uh, some adverse uh, things as a child and carried over into PTSD and uh, concealment as I grew older, uh, led to everything from attempts uh, to take my own life to uh, some pretty severe coping mechanisms and and self-harming behaviors. So the treating, healing part was a journey that kind of started around the time I was around 
24, 25, 26. And from high school forward, I'd, I'd always kind of been involved in doing things around helping people or connected to social type work uh, without necessarily making the one-to-one -one correlation about mental health. But I had the privilege of from volunteer level to working at a front desk kind of thing to sort of climbing the ladders of getting involved in the mental health world um, in my early 20s and uh, the roles I've taken on over the last 10 or 15 years, uh, almost exclusively in organizations that were started in Chicago. Uh, and a lot of, you know, kind of grassroots kind of things that build into their own stuff. So that's kind yeah, of the journey. You've had quite the, yeah, like I, one of the things I've always liked about talking with you about this stuff and like the like kind of whole for us ethos is it's not so, what's the word I'm looking for? I want to say like not, it's you're more than willing to talk about stuff that gets you through. I feel like a lot of times when you talk about depression or when you were, it's like there's this very like, this is what you should be doing. And it's like, you guys help me recognize stuff that like, that actually helps me, right? Like, so like I, we both shared a pretty like, a share like we both had kind of tumultuous childhoods like i had a very like violent and dark childhood that i don't talk about very often but like through that i was i the one of the things i like centered myself around was action movies and movies in general like that's how like i became this like movie person was like my life was constantly changing day to day movies if you start and stop them are always the same right and i just <laughs> And I, I remember like kind of talking about that with you. And like, so like, I remember when we were talking about like doing a show and you were like, just talking about things you love is part of mental health. Like, and I was like, I never thought of that. And like, was that something you just sort of developed over time? Or is it just like, I mean, I think that's one of the cool things about hope for us is like, it's, it's span and it's not just like a very one vertical about how to talk about mental health. You know, I, I think I sometimes take it for granted or, you know, maybe it's a little bit of humble pie or whatever, mm -hmm. but um our approach and my approach that I've brought into the mental field is somewhat, uh, I'll just, uh, somewhat innovative in, a, in its way in that we do something, I do something specifically called proactive suicide prevention strategies. And what it is, is it's in my initial journey to get to stability, because there's no magic wand, there's no right. better, but in getting to stability, I went through a lot of the processes other people went through in terms of the institutional and clinological parts. This isn't yeah. being cynical. You know, we're not just talking about uh, the navigations of healthcare industry coverage, not coverage, yeah. affordability. But there's also there's a lot of minutia once you're in. You know, the trials and errors of finding a clinician. And again, aside from the real, the financial realities and, and degradation <laughs> right. of the capitalist society. If you're in a perfect world, a nationally health covered system, just because a clinician is qualified doesn't necessarily mean they're effective for you, even though they could yeah. be a good clinician. So there's a lot of there's a lot of trial and error and heartache that can happen in the perfect mm -hmm. scenario because the human mind is not a copy and paste situation. We can have the same clinical diagnosis, but how it manifests and the impacts or quality of life will be dr drastically different. So what yeah. happened is. Over the course of about five or six years, I'm a bit of a scholar geek in me. Um, I've been keeping journals since I was eight years old, and I began to to build a, uh, a reverse engineered theory on the process of well, why am I still alive? As opposed, you know, as I'm going through and trying to figure out like what's 
going to be better for me and what works and doesn't work. And a lot of it started with the root causes of looking at what I kind of deduced as issues in the industry. Yeah. But then that began to step backwards into things that were happening even before you got to talking to a clinician. So practice prevention isn't just about, oh, we're going to come in here and train LCPCs and hospitals how to do the job better. The bigger thing that I, I realized was learning the biggest obstacles to suicide prevention and mental health care don't even begin at the doorsteps of the hospital. They begin with the person alone in their room. And that was stigma and understanding that what, one of the biggest things that we do that I'll do with a clinician, a school, mm. professional person is you've got to reorient your mindset to what mental health is. You got to understand that mental health is um, not just your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. It's also mm -hmm. your cognitive behaviors, you know, in a traditional mental health education, yeah. the talk of depression and feelings is separate from the talk of dyslexia. Now, just <laughs> moving really quickly to the end point of that is the fact that understanding that the mental health discussion is specifically about thoughts, feelings, and emotions in your cognitive process, all symptoms and signs of unwellness are communicated through self-expression in the same way that human injuries for in wellness is coughs and uh, bleeding from a cut, everything that's anything under the realm of our mental health from dyslexia to clinical depression is expressed from crying, laughing, singing to anger and so on and so forth. So the self-expression platform is, became the, the, the critical um, foundation. And I didn't know that in the start, but as we built this up, the thing that I came back down to the core was we've, if you can embrace open self-expression and really think about what that means, mm. you set up the pathway to communicate on wellness down the road. That, that makes a lot of sense. And also just like, it also sort of, one of the things I've also uh, was going to ask you about is like, Hope for us has this real connection to artists. I think since as long as I've known about the program, and like that makes sense now, like because like it's art is a self expression, right? Like and so like it's, it's important to like tie like has there, there's an interest in tying those two together with you guys. And that's oh. something I'll warn, and our instructors will warn someone from day one that you'll get sick of saying the word stigma, but stigma rules everything around us, dollar dollar bill, y'all, <laughs> and. Nowadays, I also point out to folks that stigma is kind of like the force. And I don't mean kind of, I mean, really is. It's around us, through us, and then it influences everything. So yeah. self-expression, even that is stigmatized, where someone hears self-expression and they minimize it to being it is dancing, singing, painting. Okay, well, and they kind of treat that like it's a sort of a, an aloof kind of yeah. frivolous thing. But two things about that. One, self-expression has more forms. We talked about that. But two, there's nothing light and soft and frivolous about communicating your emotions through dancing, singing, painting, motion picture, et cetera. Um, yeah. And that's just an easy place to see the way, the way can stigma can play is that somebody will be like, oh, that's, you know, just silly. Yeah. Like, what can be connected through a movie, for instance? Right. Like how dismissive somebody might be over Barbie, but... <laughs> Someone could have a real cultural and existential and life-altering connection with that film. Yeah, and like I also think stuff like that. I, I, one of the, like my pet causes is to examine the bigger things of in like with movies and TV that people love, 
and that are often dismissed, like, you know, Barbie, like, oh, it's just a movie to sell toys. And like, sure, you can hit it with that. But like the artist is probably up to more. And if you dig into it, you'll start to see that. And I think that's true in so many of the things that people love that are sort of like sometimes critically dismissed or like they, they think of them as just pure entertainment or pure way to make it. But like, actually, there's a lot more self-expression going on in there the more you dig into it. That's a that's a good way to look at self-expression and the facets of mental health is that on the objective side, Barbie, absolutely a thousand percent, without being cynical, could have been an engineered thing for marketing because it's a toy company mm-hmm. and off it goes and maybe it makes money and maybe it doesn't or whatever. Yeah. That the director decided to put a, a, a layer behind it is great. But what if the film had just been a sort of maybe two seconds of thought we'll put it into it and they crank it out. Could someone still find a connection to that? You know, if you think about lesser known, less celebrated, artistically celebrated films, does that rob someone of the ability to have a strong connection? You know what I mean? Like, think about the nature of mental health. Like, somebody says, uh, Little Women, Greta Gerwig's Little Women really touched me and changed my life. People make, oh, okay. Mm. But even in like an artistic community, if I rolled, rolled up on you and said, Warriors of Virtue changed my perspective and saved my life. Some of you like, you know what I mean? Yeah, like, I, I mean, well, it's, it's certainly like, uh, I think, well, and also like the way things can mean something to you that you're not even aware of. And then like, you know, like I, I haven't, like I've, I, uh, I think the first Ninja Turtles movie is a masterpiece, but the second one, I've never really had any interest in revisiting. But if you would ask seven-year-old me, that was the greatest movie ever. And so it carries this like power and like, it's also not lost on me that I gravitated to action movies as a way of like, oh, I'm having violence done to me. Let me love this thing where the guy, the hero is the protector. Like there's a protector built into those things. And I think that is like one of the things that like is inherent in action movies that people never grapple with. With They're like, oh, men just like these. And I'm like, there might be, we might be revealing more about ourselves by saying how much we like these. And that's, uh, it's funny you bring up Ninja Turtles because that, that was a, that's a particular, there's like a, Certain like nine nine mm-hmm. celestial planets of <laughs> orbit around things that are important to me, like from childhood. And that Ninja Turtles was a pretty big freaking deal for me. I mean, the Raphael uh Raph's character was probably one of the first times because I'm just a shade over five, mm-hmm. and a lot of the things that were happening to me were starting to happen then. Yeah. And Raphael is the first time pop culture TV, whatever that I felt a familiar to something. His yeah. anger, the when he goes off by himself uh, after losing the sigh and the stuff. Yep, and he, he can't process it, like his anger. Yeah, six-year-old me didn't have any technical real like connection. The only thing I knew is that the red bandana green guy, like I felt, I felt like I understood that. Damn it. Or, well, I mean, he says that after Casey just No, no, he says it in the yeah uh, in the in the sewer. Yeah, that just that phrase. I was like, like yeah, of course you were a Raphael guy. Like I was like, who is it? like I, I'm always like I have so many friends that are like, oh, Raphael's the best. Like I think it's just more revealing to my friend group than it is like in general, like uh, all the other turtles. Because uh, we all just want to be Michelangelo. Let's be honest. Um, See, I, I like I like Mikey, but no, I was always. Raphael, so was I. Like, Raphael was my dude. Like, that's, 
Um, but again, like it's that thing where it's like these things that we love, like you might dismiss these things, but that doesn't mean they don't mean something and can protect like they. And so like, I kind of like to dig into that stuff. And I, a lot of the conversations we would, and like, and it changes for every generation, right? Like, you know, as like, I feel like, you know, obviously you can't make someone who's 15 now, like the Ninja Turtles movies from the nineties. Like that's, I think a, like a bigger ask, but like in general, it, every generation searches out this stuff and there's always a connected trait. And I do think it is why like movies, like action movies kind of always keep reoccurring because I think there's, I think we all hide, like, you know, let's face it. There's just a lot of people who want protection. And I think those movies kind of give you that. Um, yeah, but I, I want, feel like, I'm yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, no, no. No, I was, I was going to say that I like the, I like the portability of instead of the action genre, because you know, yeah, you can go anywhere you want in horror and comedy and drama. Yeah. But in action, there's a few set patterns yeah. that you can really, the way you can tell the same concept 50 different ways. So, you know, the justice and, you know, you've got the sort of cop gander version of it, the vigilante yep. version of it. But like revenge films, the protection film, yeah. where uh, even that, like, who you're protecting against in terms of the the in terms of action, yeah, can dynamically change a lot about the film. Whether you're the protection you're doing is like you're protecting the small town, or you're protecting against a government, you know, a crooked right. government, or you are the government protecting against a belligerent, or you know what I mean? Yeah. Just kind of different yeah. dynamics. But it's all about the villain. <laughs> yeah, and like, and then, and the thing that's interesting is like they're super. Like, the, also the reason I'm interested in is because they are, for lack of a better term, problematic because they are race coded because there's the villains are like you know, and often I think these movies actually do better than what they're trying. You know, like I I think all the best action movies kind of like kind of pull from that soup and are actually more probably on the liberal side. Like I, I have a long held belief that all the best action movies hate cops. Um. Like James Cameron, Catherine Bigelow, like um, the Matrix. It's just got like there's always a scene where a ton of cops get shot, and while sure they often believe in the, like the one good, there's still a one good cop on the fo- Batman. Like we, I've had a guest on my show, Colin Hudson, where we talk about how Batman sort of proves that the police are useless because they can't do the job they need to someone like this. Yeah, I'm a little frustrated with the with the with some of the ways contemporary superficial contemporary superficial takes on batman are like oh the billionaire beating up the poor people a lot of the comic book batman was kind of like trying to navigate yeah us more social justice friendly but i and i don't blame him for like the movies but even like the nolan movies you know the whole legacy with like his family almost bankrupted themselves trying to do yeah civil projects so i sometimes the the there's a snide version of it for sure, where you the fanboy just... in me, yeah, the fanboy in me gets a little annoyed when the context gets like washed out for like just a topical, quick discussion. It's also like again, I think I, I think particularly the Nolan. God, we're gonna go, we're gonna go down this wormhole. I think the Nolan ones because he tried to t- tether those more to like a very this is exactly how the Batmobile works, like to like a real reality. It forced all these questions that are not really important or inherent to the piece. Like I can't kill this one guy. Cause he's, and I'll let four hundred other people. Do. I'm like, none of the math makes any sense. Yeah. Like, you know, like you're like, I don't know. I feel like you could just get like, it's just like these are. This is not what Batman is built for. 
And so, like, that's also sort of what I like about action movies. Like, you don't want to have this discussion in this, right? Like, it's just... Which, uh, <laughs> incidentally enough, the more you think about it, at least the Nolan Batman... My favorite Batman is Burton Batman. Yeah. But only because... Or really just because I love Batman Returns. Is yeah, the best. Yeah, oh, the best superhero yeah. movie. Yeah. Um, but if you think about it, the Nolan Batman at least stays on the line of, like, he's attacking Falcone and the bosses. The, the Burton Batman opens right up, but he... He jams up a, a purse snatchers, like two purse snatchers, which is yeah, kind of yeah. like that wasn't that's more consistent with like the criticism of like that means a vigilante fascist. Yeah. You know, and like, well, that's the thing. Like all these action movies are like fantasy, and like you can certainly like 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 in the end, when you list out a lot of your favorite action movies, there's very rarely like a Clint Eastwood in them, right? Because those movies have like a more like I like Clint Eastwood and I think Dirty Harry like you can't talk about the genre without talking about him. But there's a reason why his have been forgotten to time, and the other ones are more. It's like and I it's firmly believed because like Clint Eastwood was a conservative who loved cops, and so like it has yeah. that that more fascist ethos. Like whatever, as long as I have the bigger gun. You're you're safe, and so like again, like all this stuff in action movies that I just can't like get. I can't help myself thinking about. And that's um, kind of an interesting thing too. Is like liking a film. I mean, there's the whole not a film discussion, film discussion sure. of liking problematic films because yeah, you you know the Dirty Harry series is clearly a little bit of a masturbatory extension of a whole bunch of people who yeah. you know. It's a 1970s. I don't want to paint the political persuasion because it's more like a 1970s Archie Archie Bunker kind of like fetish. Yeah. You know what I mean? That's that guy's not necessarily like the 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 foaming mouth racist, but he's kind of like a lot of women here, and it's a little a lot of brown people. You know what I mean? It's, <laughs> no, it's, yeah, it's, it's, we recognize well, that now as bigoted, but like you know, he means well. But <laughs> I mean, but it it's. Interesting because it's more sinister. So I, I'm gonna do a breakdown real fast of a movie. I think it's, I think Die Hard is the best action movie like of all time, right? Like it's one of the best. It's he's human. There's a blue collarness to him. He's vulnerable, and like, you can see where he borrowed it from. It's also a movie about a guy who's upset that his wife no longer uses his name, who went and became the breadwinner, and while he is able and goes to work for a Japanese company <laughs> in 1988, which was like. If you were around, like everyone was concerned, Japan was going to buy up America, and they found a way to let this blue collar guy go around a white collar building and completely destroy it, called Nakatomi Tower, without making him the bad guy. And that is one of the genius parts, is because they're like the genius parts of Die Hard. Who's his helpful, but not leader, but helpful major assistant in all this? Oh yeah, the uh, Family Matters own Reginald Bell Johnson. Like well, the sprightly black guys, because. Uh... <laughs> Reggie played the little Oh yeah, that's true. Kids in there too. Uh that's a, when the first time I heard somebody make that analysis, the like the, the angry white guy tears on the yeah, I was almost really now wait a oh shit. It's why it connects. It's why it like I don't know if it's like they were all con- I think the director was aware of what he was doing a little bit where he was like, I see that that's why they knew they had to have a European bad guy. It was the only like that's like all the smart things inform the other thing where like, okay, we're going to do this, but like, we can't, we, I don't, I, the director's going, I don't want to make Dirty Harry, right? Which Dirty Harry would just have him blowing up the Japanese building and just like being the hero. And you kind of, we kind of get it. We kind of, you know, 
it kind of yeah the European, but it's the effete intellectual. Yeah, no, that too. That you know, exactly. Yeah, like even even like the even the even the the like the bold or no the tanker the tanker bad guy like Carl. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah, like yeah. that nice like you know uh, turtle neck. Oh yeah, Argyle, <laughs> Argyle. That was his character. Ar- I don't know yeah. Argyle too. The 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 techie, yeah. but I mean like the. Carl and and you know the, the guy with the big oh, straight yeah, machine, yeah, 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 yeah. That's the true. Long hair, like the you know what I mean? I, yeah, really so like, it's unpack it like because they're for this, like it, uh, they create all these interesting questions. And so, like the question I want to ask you, you were starting to say, it, and I think I cut you off, is like, are watching action films good for your mental health? Like, what do you what do you, like? Should you be better off watching something softer or something? I'm going to tell a really long-winded, but I'm trying to make it short. Please thing. do. We're trying to make it's, it a good way. We're really trying to get to an hour here. It's a brutal paradox. So I forget the name of the name of the game, but there was a parents monitoring console. It's not the people who who um, censored records in the '80s, but there was another group that came out, and they were they were adjacent to the record censor people. Yeah. Um, and it might have even been Brent Basel, but anyway, um, it was a parent council group, but they're more Christian based and what they did is they did a review on tv and it was real simple they talked about the violence on tv and like miami vice was like a chief suspect and here's what they said what they said was um we think it's immoral but the our biggest problem is is that this is we don't think this is going to turn people satanic which is what the music people overstep we think this is going to desensitize people which in their realities will then make it more normalized to tolerate um sure. things. and the pushback in the 80s from a sort of left-wing centric and progressive centric people was like oh this is victorian civility bs from like the pre-60s get mm-hmm. with it folks we're doing it okay and the, and the council was like complaining about gi joe cartoons as much as yeah uh, you know and mr rogers of course by 1970, was worried about cowboy shows. Black and so here's my thing. You can be desensitized by exposure, okay? And you can watch things that can create a toxic and deleterious effect on your internal well-being and sure. misshape your attitudes. You know, can kind of put a, 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 a misshaping on your attitudes. That is just because it can, but that also isn't inevitable if your mindset is reinforced with other nutrients in both in content that you watch and just in life, touching grass kind of a thing. Yeah. So, sure, is it good for your mental health? The way to look at taking in content is that it's... um, it's not benign, but it's kind of like it's like tofu. It's gonna pick up. It's gonna. It's either gonna contribute in a negative way and pick up the flavors of negativity and hurt you, or it's gonna be something that just that you digest it and you move on with your life and it doesn't necessarily impact you. Uh, why yeah. it does that is gonna be of conditional factors that you brought in to the experience and not, you know, the experience in and of itself. Okay. You know that. That's a little bit how I feel too. Like I just think it's like there is a way where like you could read it all these things, but I just feel like if it's 
what energizes you or recalms you or like recenters. It's it's there's no now conceptually to... you will get desensitized. And here's one of my favorite things about film is mm. the is the violence tolerance study. Right there mm. were there were landmark moments in the depiction of violence. Uh, the two biggest ones early on, yeah. aside, you know, I'm not talking about Cagney and the Grapefruit, but right. like is Wild Bunch and uh, you know the the son, oh. the, the the girl and guy, bait, Warren Beatty. Oh, Bunny um, Clyde, Bunny Clyde. Bunny okay, two big moments. So the Wild Bunch was a new kind of um, bullet damage. Um, yeah, yeah, like it, the real bloody and yeah, yeah. those movies are hugely. Bunny Clyde. Woman violence. Then you jump forward and you get to RoboCop, and the the packet spray in RoboCop was a whole new standard. Yeah. Then you get to Saving Private Ryan. Those are like the those three examples I gave are yeah. the landmark moments in violent depiction. Everything you can chart out like how violence is being depicted between those three films: so the Bonnie yeah. Clyde Wild Bunch, RoboCops. Um, yeah, the eighties excess was like that, know, yeah. Did you watch like look, watch watch Beverly Hills Cop and 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 Forty Eight Hours and all those other films? <laughs> that violence isn't anything like what you get with the the packet spray and the meat and squibs and the flesh. And yeah, that. in RoboCop, that takes it to a whole other. And then obviously, we've never looked back after Private Ryan. There's not been anything, you know. The, uh, you know, I can think of some smaller things, but they didn't night and day the in like. Industry, that, right? that is a whole interesting because like I think of like the John Wick movies and those movies kill so many people that you just become really numb while watching the movie I'm just like this is the stuff I like love to think about with like action films of mental health I'm like so John Wick's the hero he's killed a thousand people probably between these four movies easy and it's just like I feel like you might have a pro- like. I feel like if I killed ten people I'd be a little upset about it I, like it's like it is it's just there, there's like well, it's the full cartoonerization, right? Right, yeah. Like, like even the characters have to be pushed. We have to push to new extremes. And so, yeah. I, I, the, like, I was going to say, if the guys in John Wick died like they did in Coen Brothers films or something, you know what yeah. I mean? <laughs> that would be... No, and you can make people feel it. Like, I think, like, there's this movie I love from a few years ago called The Green Room, and it's, like, this punk rock band versus Nazis. Great movie. And there's a part... <laughs> Where like this guy gets his arm stuck in a door and they're just like slicing it and that was so painful and so terrifying that I, six years later I can still remember how awful and like and so it is a little bit on how you as an artist want to use that kind of violence if you just want to shoot a bunch of random dudes with headshots it's just like turn it into Call of Duty you can I mean look at Call of Duty it is just like same Prior Ryan like it's just like they were like how do we do this um. Okay, so we're we're on mixed view, like you like, you know. But before I, I we get off of action movies, I wanted to ask because I feel like we've talked about a lot of them. But like, what are some of your favorites? A uh, pretty pretty set list for me is. Okay. Uh, I'll go chronologically a little bit. It's not higher Ooh. film. Yeah. So, hands down, the train. Uh, Ooh, Bert the Burt Lancaster one. Yeah, and I consider Third Man an action film too, but like yeah. just like. Brass and tags action. Yeah. Third man is where it starts for me. That's yeah. almost my gold standard for film. Yeah. Uh, for, for for action films. Um there's some other, you know, I don't mind any of the westerns, da, 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 but 
you know, the, the Sergio Leone wrestlings are fun and everything. But then I, I'm a glutton uh, into the 80s. Like, yeah, the other, best. Yeah. You know, and for me, it's, it's as, as a hint, RoboCop is, you know. Best of all time. RoboCop 1 and 2 to me is, you know, God bless. Um, <laughs> after that, I love the last action hero, but that's, you know, right. that's, that's whatever. Um, but from a from pure action film standpoint, yeah, uh, I think it after RoboCop, Kung Fu Hustle is probably my it's other like like you're like you're laying out quite the action syllabus here. I think this like yeah. any viewer if they were like, hey, I want kind of want to see how the action movie, you like all the films you've mentioned. I think are a really great like watch the trajectory of like action and movies. I, and I think. Uh, Lord knows we could throw like a whole list together. I didn't make a list before, but yeah. these they're just popping off the top of my head like that. Yeah, yeah. That's um, and I never get these are the films I'll watch a thousand times over and over again, right? Yeah. So kind of you know, loaded weapon, <laughs> which is <a> comedy <laughs> action, but um, you know, I don't get tired. I hate the characters in it, like I yeah. hate him, but I like Scotty Pilgrim also. Oh, yeah, it's uh, a great movie, you know, and, and um, like I said, I took with the Batmans. But no, that's kind of you know. I'm sure I could make like a more heady. No, no, but I wonder. I was curious what came off the top of your head. RoboCop is RoboCop one and two and Unforgiven. Unforgiven in that great. space, uh, and then I don't know if it's action, but it's the only other two movies after Kung Fu Hustle that matter to me in this world is Dick Tracy and Who Framed Roger Rabbit. So, God, those are so good. That's 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 my. Um, Oh god! I just watched. I like, you know. I feel like I've the one thing about love movies. There's just so many of them, and like I thought I had seen all the ones in my era that I love, right? And then in the last six months, I've discovered two classics that no one had ever told. So I saw for you. I'll recommend Stone Cold, starring Brian Bosworth, as okay, like, and Lance Hendrickson. Okay, it is you mean the Boz, the football player? Yes. Okay. It's like, okay, okay. It's. Excellent. It's made by an action uh, stunt coordinator from like the 60s and 70s. It's him directing and the movie is just like, in fact, has it, it's like streaming on Amazon and stuff. That's got to be early 90s, right? It's like 91, I think. Okay. But it has, the final act of the movie is basically the January 6th insurrection. It's a bunch of bikers invading a state capitol. It's incredible. Um, They fly a motorcycle into a helicopter. I'll, I'll, I'll go to bat for it. And I just watched Raw Deal, the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. I was just about to talk about that. I'm like, if you want to do some deep dives, yeah, I'd never seen it. And he goes on the covers. I had never seen it. I'd always seen Red Heat, which is the same year, but I'd never seen that one. So my, if I was like, if I had a college degree in movies, (laughs) mine would be Chicago films. Mm -hmm. Uh, And let me tell you. Oh, and here's another action film that's a masterpiece. You probably seen it. Raw Deal. Yeah. Which you couldn't see coming because it starts out from the boonies, that yeah. amazing Jeep Wrangler yep. scene, um, and then it—it's you know when when Chicago was getting all those price breaks, yep. tax breaks, they basically pioneered tax breaks for filming. Yeah, there you see them all through old Fulton Market. Yeah. Old, Old under underdeveloped Navy Pier before they refurbished. Yeah, it. there's that whole sequence. Yep. Um, but then above the law. Oh yeah, above Andrew Davis. That one's great. I that no, one's no, no, a, no 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 no. Andrew Davis? No, but Andrew Davis is the director. 
Uh, oh, okay. <laughs> in the future. He's from Chicago. Which um, and the fugitive, you know, that's you know, forget about it. like and the red heat you mentioned. Yeah, so like raw deal was just great because it's like it's closer to like the commando line where it's like the movie's sort of aware what it's so Arnold goes undercover as an Italian, which in of itself is hilarious. And at some point towards the end, he drives around in like a convertible playing Rolling Stones satisfaction while shooting guys at a construction yeah, site. Yeah. And I was like, how, where did I didn't have this movie my whole life? This is exactly what I want. And like, that's where, where you are killing people. It's, you don't feel any of the violence. It's not like any of those movies you listed. Gets, it, 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 I don't yeah. know if it's an early one. It can't be early or maybe it isn't early. He yeah. gets, I'll be back in there. And yep, he basically, no. he does the Terminator bit again with a pickup truck or with a tow yeah. truck. <laughs> he can't, he can't help himself. Okay. Uh, we're going to talk about action movies a little more with the subgenres, but first, I know we're finally going to get a Twitch show from you called Camp Carl. Can you tell me a little bit about it? Yes. So Camp Carl is a, a very critical part of my well-being and mental health and, and life getting to a place. Had to do with a sleepaway summer camp that I had attended and become a counselor at. It's kind of one of the first places I felt a connection to helping other people. So... I, you know, one of the things about that place was that I found the Carl I liked and, you know, liked and wanted yeah. to be. And a large feature of my early 20s was the struggles and trials and errors of making that Carl be exist back in the real world and not yeah. just that bubble. So um, Camp Carl as a show is kind of taking the idea around that theme of working through destigmatizing it's it's combating about judgment and destigmatizing and talking about the things that fulfill us and what it took to follow our journey to the thing that fulfills us you know your career choice professional choice whatever so camp carl is just sitting around a little bit of the digital campfire talking about what we love and what we're passionate about and then i've got a little bit of some non-sequitur segments you know to tell stories around the campfire and it's right everything from movie chats to music to pop culture and um, a few segments like consider this where I'm just going to babble about some sociopolitical thoughts that I've, I want to share with people. Yeah, that's the top of my show. That sounds great. I want to be uh, around the campfire for sure. That's I'm excited. Also, just like I think there needs to be more of you because you're such an important part of this, but you're always wanting to be in the background a little more. And I, it's, it's fun to see you get forced, forced to the front. So... We're going to go from action movies to my subgenre topic of the week. Um, and this week's is Taken Knockoffs. So um, the whole point of the subgenre is kind of, you know, examining how one hit um, kind of creates this like waterfall effect where there's all these different films that kind of follow pursuit, right? And so I don't know if you remember the first Taken, the Liam Neeson, like it had the great trailer. Like I have a man of many skills. Like it's like that movie made so much money i think that reinvigorated the action genre like i don't know if you're a, i mean the, the, they're pretty toxic some of the later sequels which we're gonna get to here <laughs> but uh the first taken is like one of the true like old man kick-ass movies that then start to i think the next decade that comes out in 08 are you a fan of taken or liam neeson oh i paid to see it yeah yeah, yeah. it delivered <laughs> it del i did not see any of the other sequels in theaters um but uh, the first Taken, I think, is like a good action. It reminded me of like, there's these periods like, where they, like that's right around when the superhero stuff is really starting to like take off and explode. 
And I think the Taken movies were like, no, I still want to watch, you know, like old action movies. It was like, I feel like a real interesting fight. And so without the Taken movie, you don't get my actual true favorite old man kicks ass movie, which is the Equalizers with <laughs> Denzel Washington. Like that is Equalizer happens because of Taken. There's no doubt in well, my mind. Yeah. And I, I, I love Equalizer because I didn't actually see the first one when it came yeah. out for like weeks because there's a thing, especially in, in black movie communities about like the phrase is like, Dying with your eyes open, yeah. and uh, without being a spoiler, it's especially frustrating in, in like black movie circles when like a black hero character basically yeah. goes and like kills and sacrifices themselves for right. Oh, you know, so basically, goal. man on fire, and like mm -hmm. Denzel has a few of those kind <laughs> of like house Ryan Reynolds, yeah, right? Yeah. Dying with your eyes open kind of thing. So. Anyway, that's what I thought Equalizer. So I was like, man, just yeah. another one of those. But uh, no, it's good. <laughs> I mean, he, I, I like that it was like, okay, how are we going to top Taken? And it's, but it's just like, there's such movies for your dads in that, like, and your uncles. It literally, the final sequence takes place in a Home Depot. I can't think yeah. of any more dad spot. <laughs> it was just like, it's so well engineered. And the fact that, like, Antoine Fuqua, who did Training Day, who is like, to me, one of the great, one of my favorite directors is Tony Scott, and I think he's like a true descendant in that like he kind of just wants to make good pulpy material that everyone's enjoys, that he brings like a real visual edge to it, but not like he's not like enforcing his vision on it the same way. And I think he's unique. Like, I don't know if you saw Equalizer 2, but like that has a great 20-minute set piece at the end where they're like in an abandoned beach town as a hurricane rolls in. And it's just like it goes full western at that point. And I think like loved it. Yeah. And did you see? Did you see what they're doing for Equalizer Three? That they're re, they're fixing the Man on Fire problem. It, it apparently well, yeah, I saw Fanning's in it, so I was like, yeah. oh, <laughs> that's not an accident. Um, you know what's yeah. funny is it made me think of Hitman. Oh, interesting. This Italy and the you know the this the, the farm. Yeah. Oh, I can see that. Up, you know, but I mean, he is. I mean, he's bald and and uh, no, this yeah. All yeah, it's like it's it's again like it like take him remind everyone what they wanted from action movies, and then Equalizer was like Denzel was like, hey, I need hits in between Fences and Macbeth, and uh, so I'm gonna make sure I do make sure everyone comes to the theater to see me. But and I they, think uh, they yeah. bank too, yeah, yeah, they make bank. And, bring that bank. And like so, Taken again, a movie that's not gonna be remembered through time. Twenty from years now, we're not gonna. Remember oh, it. I don't know. I think you underestimate the power of see Taken also has like that other thing you say old man thing but Taken yeah. also is like there's a certain like wish fulfillment like it's a certain brand sure. of like think of the the very enthusiastic about their guns and self defense person maybe if they're in America and like Taken is like the wet treat like oh sure I, but like that they, there's a new one every decade like right now it's yeah. in theaters right now it's called Sound of uh, Thunder or not Thunder or whatever that new like the religious oh, the uh, child the child rescue the QAnon movie yeah. with Jim Caviezel but and the reason I mean it is like every decade they'll come out like Chuck Norris's movies are not going to remember the time I, there are some That's ones true. I like but like he's been forgotten but the reason why Taken is important is because it gives us a franchise that will be remembered. There is no John Wick movies without Taken. Take John Wick is a Taken knockoff. There's no uh, like they were thinking sort of washed up action movie star, 
they were like fighting European baddies in different countries. Like it is, it couldn't be more I, a descent. It's better. It's like way smarter and way better. But it is. Is a, it? Are these so taken? Yeah. See the thing. Well, no, because he's he's retired from his job. Is taken the genre, or is this really more closer to like to loop in with your earlier comments? Yeah. Is this more like an extension of like Unforgiven, like the old well, samurai? The, the, they all belong. Like you can trace it all the way back. <laughs> but the key of this is that one movie comes and creates this like domino effect. All the so like yeah, the, those movies are always popular. But like Logan is one of those movies. It has nothing to do with Taken. But Taken, mm. Equalizer, John Wick. I think are one, two, three of exactly this is going to make money because like they all come in order because like Equalizer comes out before John Wick. But I'm going to throw you a curveball. I don't know if you've seen this movie. Um, you Were Never Really Here, the Joaquin Phoenix, um, Lynn Ramsey art film, but is very much a Taken movie. It is Joaquin Phoenix and is an action guy. I don't know if you can see the trailer kind of happening up in the corner. Um, it's made by an art filmmaker, so it's a little interesting, but it's like a guy who's basically going around rescuing uh, young girls from like an Epstein type society. Like it is clearly, I mean, look at the images. Like it is so totally a Taken movie, but it stars Joaquin Phoenix and art directors. And the only way they got a green light was because they're like, well, it's kind of like John Wick and like these movies. Oh, no, yeah, I see that. Yeah. Yeah. Like it's so exactly, again, washed up, tired. That, that wasn't Michael Keaton. Who was it? Oh, it's someone, yeah. It's, I, see, have, I, I totally get it. Like, this is hilarious. It's amazing. It's a really good movie, too. And, like, there's, like, I'll give you examples. So, like, Taken, Ron Wick, he kills a billion people. At one point, he kills a guy in this movie, and the guy's just sort of dying in the kitchen, and he just lay down, he lies down next to him, because the guy's like, just, I don't want to die alone. And so, like, it kind of gets into the more arty, Lynn Ramsey's a phenomenal filmmaker. Highly recommend this one, but it is still kind of an action movie, and it only gets made because of Taken. Now, here's the part. This is the part I'm really excited for. So, Taken comes out. Can I list how many action movies Liam Neeson does after Taken? This is incredible. So, he does <laughs> The Gray, which is not full action movie, but I'm going to count it. Walk Among the Tombstones, Nonstop, Run the Night, Taken 2 and 3, and The Unknown. And he basically plays the same character in all those movies. Like, he goes full Charles Bronson. I'm making the same movie over and over with a different name. Like you might as well call these Liam Neeson's four, five, and six. And some of them are better than others too. So like, Walk Among the Tombstones is really excellent. Nonstop is really good. Run the like. There's like different directors. I don't even have, think I remember these titles. They were just like coming out, and they were all making money. They, particularly, this starts the like old action guy overseas, and I feel like John Wick sort of like builds and escalates it and makes them into like real events. But Liam Neeson and his subgenre really. Um, launched this like whole thing, and I think will be like because of Taken, kind of ridiculous right wingy pulpy movie. We are able to get so much art out of it, and I think that's what again I love about that like art and money of business and movies. It's so clear. Yeah, that's that reminds me. I mean, I I love that sort of. Yeah. What what would that be? The sort of when you get that that run of you know the copycat like you get star wars and then every studio like greenlights at the Stephen private yep. ryan and you get like, yeah, yeah. 10 other films yeah that's just how the movie business works like that's to me like that's what the sh like that's at least the, that's the thing i'm what most fascinated that, like that dynamic because like i i spent a, a weird amount of rabbit hole time yeah not more than six months ago going down 
uh, unpacking like the Alamo. The oh yeah. Movie. Yeah. And it ran back to hmm. after Private Ryan. You know, there was like eight different war films that got greenlighted. Alamo was like the last yeah. to make it out the gate. You know, and there was like We Were Soldiers and, and then, uh, uh, Letters of Iwo Black, Hawk, Black Hawk Down Letters. Yeah. So, yeah. What do you call that process of like it's copycatting, but like it? It to me is the- just it's just it's like. The thing about film that I love is that it's the thing that makes it most difficult as an art form or to be taken seriously as an art form is more than any other form. It's tied to money. Like you can write a book without any money. You can make a song, but to make a big giant action movie, you need billions of dollars. Right. And so they're always tied to something like you. The only way you as someone who's doing this right now, you can only convince someone to give you money if you can point to another thing. And the sleight of hand you have to do is still make your thing but you got to sell them on the other thing like that. You were never really here. They were like, Oh yeah. I mean, just like take it. I'm sure the producers were pissed. The ones who invested and thought they were getting a taken movie. Isn't that, that direct, uh, like, isn't that like Jane Cameron's Titanic pitch? Yeah. Like, I mean, Is well, that there's how that story went like, or... where it was just like, uh, I, I mean, that man, like the famous pitch with him is him walking into the room for aliens and just writing a dollar sign next to alien. That's what I'm thinking of. I'm sorry. Yeah. 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 Aliens in the, in the dollar sign. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, because it's so tied and because almost everything you sell has to, like there's very few directors who are just like, I have a completely outside the box idea that has no connection to other hits. Like even Steven Spielberg making West Side Story is tied to the fact that like the greatest showman on earth came out in 2019 and made so much damn money. And like musicals were kind of, and, and in the Heights and Hamilton, they were able to like pitch that. Like it, 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 even the highest, the high in Hollywood still have to adhere to this like copycatness. And so because of that, it makes it really fun to kind of study it. And that's why like, well, I'm going to call you want to stay on. I'm going to run through the last little bit of the show here. Um, so normally I, I do the next segment I do is called who won art. And so this week I'm doing uh, movies are back. Like movies won, man. Like it's as a movie guy, I can't tell you how pumped I've been since like Barbie and Oppenheimer are setting the world on fire with money. There's literally lines out the door at the movie theater near me on like a weeknight. That, I can't think of the last time I saw it. Certainly pre-pandemic, but even then, movies were kind of trending down. And so, like, they're winning. And, like, uh, there's a good horror movie out called Talk to Me. Like, it's, like, it's right now, it's just, like, the moment for um, movies. And I just, like, I got to celebrate it. So, like, that's why I'm saying they won art. And, like, they're all finding ways to be original, right? Like we could, you could look at Barbie and go, well, this is not an original, but Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach and everyone involved and Margot Robbie who produced that movie saw a chance to like sneak in more important, interesting stuff. Like, I, have you, have you seen Oppenheimer or Barbie yet? Do you have, did I, you enjoy I'm it? actually planning to see them. You do Barbieheimer? Um, <laughs> and I want to jump in on two little notes there. One on the movie thing, one of the classical theaters in Chicago, the music box. Of course. Uh, has had that exact thing been happening that has not been happening. They, and I mean, yeah, they've had lineups, but this is like a 1970s film reel of Star Wars. Like, yeah, the line, you know, Southport, you know, Music Box. Yeah, the line goes so long it almost goes down to the Walgreens. Yeah, it goes there. Like, yeah, it's like past the coal ins- fire. Yeah, that's it's- insane. Insane. Music Box, and, great. My favorite place in Chicago, guys. And um, the other thing I want to bring about that is that I think one of the cool things here is that I'm willing to bet that, uh, you know, fascism is a 
definition is the merging of state and, and government or business and government. I'm willing to wonder if like when you look at Barbie, yeah, I'm willing to wonder if that's like people being like, you know what? All right, fine. We're going to do this corporate thing. You want Mattel, you want this, but we're going to art the shit out of it. But yep. we'll, we will accept that even on the face of it last year, everyone was like, this is, this is freaking, this is yeah. such a stupid cash grab. It'll make money, <laughs> but it's, Heartless yeah. and vacuous and bullshit. Like, yeah, <laughs> and like it also proves like there's you know how everyone knows about like Disney families, the people who really have their weddings at Disney. There's a lot of Mattel Barbie people like that. I don't think they've been served something to show. And mm-hmm. so, I mean, the question I'm asking myself as a movie person and as someone who works in this business is: this are people actually interested in something a little more interesting right now? Or is this a, is this a marketing blitz? Like, you know, Oppenheimer and Barbie really like really pushed you or is this just like a, is this the blitz or a blip or is there something more? Cause it seems like comic book movies are not faded. They're just like not number one. People are a little, little they're like still gonna make a ton of money. Market saturation. I yeah. think it's the Jim Cornette rule that uh, it was a pro WWE? wrestling guy, yeah. but he would tell a story about a really big gigantic, flashy guy who sucks in the ring and a really talented guy who's, you know, whatever. And he'd say, you could steal a house, that big walking goon, <laughs> you could steal a million dollar house, one show of them. But as soon as people see it, it's done. Whereas this other guy, you can draw every night and da da da. Yeah. The thing about Barbenheimer is <laughs> that if it's the meme and marketing, it gets its box office win on week one. And yeah. maybe it's a it's a forty percent thirty percent drop on yeah. week two, and then it's out the gate. This is clearly word of mouth, hands down. I mean, the, the, yeah. the second and third week drops were like sub forty percent. Not only that, like, is this is Oppenheimer going to be the highest grossing movie that never got to number one? Like, that's like the fun th- thing I've been trying to think about. But what if it does? What if it switches out? I mean, the, at, the performance on probably movies is pretty stupid. Like, I mean, I, I honestly like again. Going back to it, the steam is not let up. I mean, if anyone, no. if I can't be the only geek who keeps an eye on box office mojo and other, you know, characters, yeah. and the the momentum and velocity that ticket sales have for this, their weekday yeah. reports yeah. are they're are stupid. Like people are so attuned that the weekend hype is a thing yeah. that the weekday performance is crazy. It's no. I hopefully the studios realize they have something and don't let the strike go on and capitalize and people are like, oh, I kind of want to go see movies. I enjoyed that. And so like I hope there's some I do think people are tired of being inside and I think they want to go to a movie. And like I, I have long held the belief that at home you have paralysis of choice where if you pick a movie, you're there, you see it, it's over. And I think there's power to that where it's like, should I watch should I watch Ozarks for the first time? Should I watch the new show everyone does? Should I watch a movie, and I think movie theaters or at least can narrow it down for you. Well, and that's another thing about the business of movies. The one thing movies have always been able to do, even you know, mm. there's when people were talking about the movies dead earlier this year, yeah, because of the MCU and DC yeah. bombs, yeah, is you know, you had the TV crisis of the late 50s, and then you mm. had the inflation crisis of 81, which are the only two real comparables. People talk about yeah. this stuff, but the only two business ones, and the one thing movies have always been able to be reliable is creating hmm. a social happening that you've got to be there with everyone else kind of experience, yeah. you hmm. know? And I think that's what Barbenheimer 
to your point about people want to get outside, yeah, yeah, that's that's part of it. But I think they want to get outside because they do the dressing in the pink and the da 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 da. You know, what I mean, this is that's yeah. that's building connection. That's a mental health thing. You know what I'm saying? That's yeah. Not a joke. No, I, I I think that's I I think people were tired of discussing stuff that can't really be like you can't talk about Guardians and Galaxy the way you can have a discussion about Oppenheimer and Barbie or the way you can't play act it and like. I, I don't think like movies are fully back, but like it's this is good. This is, this is a big blip, a good hope. Um, if the quality's there, this is sustainable. But that's I mean that's yeah, the history that's, of movies, right? Right. Yeah. So now I usually do a recommendation because we're running a little long. I'm going to skip uh, one of them, Scott. I'm going to go right to Pee Wee's Playhouse. Um, so R.I.P. Paul Rubens. I'm uh-huh. uh, I. Uh, can't tell you how much Pee-wee's Big Adventure meant to me as a kid. My poor grandfather must have watched that movie from me a hundred times, then every other grandkid must have watched it a hundred times. I think Pee-wee's Big Adventure is a perfect movie. Tim Burton's first, great score. Like, it's just a perfect movie. But, like, Pee-wee's Playhouse, did you used to watch the show, Carl? Yes. Yeah. Um, it is way stranger and weirder it's like an adult swim show for for kids and adults it had that vibe like i now watch it and be like oh my parents were stoned watching this with me this is what was happening (laughs) (laughs) and um you have to buy them or you can go on youtube and all the episodes are up on free up there for free i don't know were you like you were a paul rubens fan yeah you know i the big adventure was as a kid, there was maybe like eight or nine VHSs that were in my house. You know, yeah, we weren't fancy folks. So, Same. and on that rotation, you know, Pee Wee's Big Adventure was probably worn out almost as much as some of the other things that we had, like a Little Rascals compilation hmm. tape. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, what were those other eight? Uh, we'll come back to Pee-wee. I was this is because I same thing. Like my grandparents had like six movies, and like two yeah. of them they got from buying a car. So not including like there was a, a, a first communion video which I just digitized. Uh, there was Sound of Music. Okay. Um, I said Pee Wee's Big Playhouse. Yeah. There's Sound of Music, Pee Wee's Big Playhouse, Hunt for Red October, <laughs> um, Lady and the Tramp. Good one. Um, Sword in the Stone, and then Mary Poppins. Oh, I. My grandparents' house, the movies I got watched repeatedly were Pee-wee's Big Adventure, uh, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, The First Batman, and I think Back to the Future 2 they had for some reason, not the first one. No. And I want to say that they had a perfect world, the Clint Eastwood movie. Was like, <laughs> there was, but, there was a, it was missing the opening crawl, but there was a TV, no, I don't know how they... It was bootleg, but it wasn't TV recorded Return of the Jedi, but it was a quality one. But anyway, but yeah, no, but Pee-wee's Big Adventure. Adventure, yeah. A whole generation, you know, the log in Final Destination, the log bus? Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a whole generation or a niche of a generation that Large Marge was their, like... Yep. Terrifying moment. Yeah, (laughs) like, I used to, like, me and my cousins were, like, afraid to watch it. Like, we would always just, like, look away, and then, like, you finally, you finally, like, got a certain age, you were like, I'm not scared of it. Well, my sister, uh, not trying to out her, one of my sisters, like, the clowns, the the hospital thing. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And that did, that messed with me a little bit, but Large Marge has always got me the worst. Yeah. 
So um, I highly, highly recommend Pee-wee's Big Playhouse. I think it's a lot more fun. It's a free on YouTube. It's super enjoyable. And, you know, you owe it to Paul Rubens because, like, he's one of the true great weirdos who never stopped being awesome. So, well, maybe, that – yeah. Go ahead. I was going to say, maybe even, like, go and try to MacGyver your own Paul Rubens, like, film fest. You know, get, like, <laughs> Blues Blow. Brothers, Blow – uh, oh yeah! Oh, mystery, mystery man. man. Yep. <laughs> Cheech and Chong. He's in one of the Cheech. Cheech he's, a, he's an up and he's an up and smoke. Um, but no, it's also like fast. So like the TV show, like I, I did a disservice here. It has you know Pee Wee. It has Phil Hartman was one of the writers and creators on it. Amazing. Elvira is on it. Uh, Lawrence Fishburne is on it. Uh, it's got so many like it's just so fun, man. Like like watching it last. I watched it a bunch last night with my wife, and it was just like she had never seen it. And she was just like. This is like ADHD come to life. She was like overwhelmed by it, but like in a really great way. She's like, oh, I get why people like this though. Like she was like, it's it truly like, is a piece of amazing gonzo art, you know? Yeah, like, and it really combines a lot of stuff that was like, like I was really enjoying it because I was like, I feel like as the '80s have sort of been Stranger Thing, like you just remember like what those references are, what your shirt is. It has like a way more. Playhouse really kind of like, oh yeah, there was this whole other funky thing and cows and cowboys and the vintage automobile. Like, there's all these other like debris of the '80s that is very much on display that like ephemera that I think like people may have forgotten about. And so like again, give give them 20 minutes, just watch one episode, you'll you'll be addicted. But well, that should wrap us up, Carl. Thank you so much for staying on and like just being the guest and dude, this was awesome. I can't wait to for Camp Carl to come out when it starts. I know I'll be one of the first guests, obviously. Um, but thank you so much. Thanks everyone for watching, and I'll see you all in two weeks. Thanks everyone. Bye. I'll see you later, huh? Wait. I'll see you later. I bid you farewell and good luck, morons. Bye. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Then in the next episode, will take place two weeks from today. Hey, that's all. I gotta go.